and welcome to Heads Up, a program that focuses on mental health awareness. I'm retired school counselor, Sue Mullen, and with me today is my co-host, licensed family therapist, Diane Baccarello. Hi, Diane. Good morning, Sue. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Well, I am terrific, uh, terrific, getting better by the moment as the weather lightens up and we take care of all of our technical difficulties. What could be better? <laughs> exactly. So, so, Diane, the first thing I want to do is share with our audience that this is our 12th episode and that we're doing something different today. Yeah. That rather than focusing on one particular topic, as we have done from week to week, last week we put out a call for questions and I got them. Excellent. I, I got questions. So, uh, so this is not only going to work, yeah. but I'm sort of uh, entertained by the idea of what happens when we play Stump the Chump with Diane Baccarello. <laughs> so, so we're fun. <laughs> so, uh, so I have, um, I've got about eight to 10 questions. So I, I guess I'm just going to start at the top of the list. I've tried to categorize them a little bit, but uh, I'm just going to start at the top of the list and let you run with it. How's that feel? That sounds good. I love that they were just an open-ended call for people to ask. That's great. Yeah. And a number of people commented that they uh, obviously have been watching the various episodes and that some of their questions came out of the episode that they had watched and they didn't feel that we necessarily addressed their questions. So that's where it came from. So um, the first question that we received uh, from one of our viewers is, why were we seeing increases in anxiety and depression in youth prior to the pandemic? So this person is acknowledging that the pandemic is not our only source of stress. Why were we seeing depression and anxiety on the rise before the pandemic? Excellent question. And, and that's true. We've been mm -hmm. seeing anxiety on the rise for quite some time. And I would say that the depression piece is um, coming secondarily to how impactful the anxiety has been. Because if you think about living with anxiety untreated for the most part for an extended period of time, definitely gets to be pretty depressing. It feels like are, am I going to be able to get out of this or fix this? Is there a way of addressing it? Um, and it, if it leads to a sense of hopelessness around that, then depression is definitely the next thing to come in. Um, it's not so where, where's it coming from? Where? So I think some of what we've talked about is the sort of pressure cooker aspect of society around the idea of we haven't done a lot um, with helping kids with all these added activities and pressures around grades and being, you know, one of our shows was on being perfect, um, just the expectations being super, super high. We haven't followed along with a lot of the um, education or psychoeducation around social emotional skill building. Mm -hmm. It's been around academic or intellectual skill building and the idea of emotional intelligence. Uh, it's critical that we support growth in that area so that we can respond 
um, and learn coping strategies to bring our stress down. But I feel like with the fast paced environment that we've had in life, you know, definitely in the last decade or two, um, we don't give enough time to slow things down. Literally, we're caught in a um, parallel of fight, fight or flight, you know, kind of responses, a lot of flee, a lot of running, rushing, and right. it's exacerbating those symptoms and we're not slowing it down enough to really stop and say what's going on here and what do we need to do to address it yeah it's interesting because i hear a lot from people um well certainly in my age group but even in your age group about how we expect kids to do things at a younger and younger age and generally it to me it comes in the form of you know holy toledo i wasn't studying that until i was in high school and now they're looking at it in third grade or uh, something along those lines. So I hear you that we keep putting more and more on to kids' plates. At a younger and younger age. At a younger and younger age, right. But we're not matching that with um, inserting time to do nothing or to slow down or just think or relax our body essentially. It's just like go, go, go. Right. I feel uh, a, an entire episode coming up on social emotional learning, yeah. what it is, what it is and why it's equally important to academic learning. So, so we don't burn ourselves out or create right. a situation with anxiety that we can't, you know, like um, basically if our absorption rate is too high, it's like with a sponge and you, you know, just reach a certain limit and then everything just washes out. We're not going to be able to capture um, to a certain degree, even the intellectual property, if we can't, you know, absorb it. Okay. So the takeaway to parents is watch how high you're setting expectations for your kiddo. And the exposure, it's not necessarily that we can't do those things or have those things, but we do need to really mindfully and purposefully interject times that we can process information. You know, we were talking at last week's episode around the idea of um, a really good teacher will have um, some challenging assignments, but they'll provide enough time to work through them and really figure things out and process that. And what was that like? You know what I mean? Um, That's what we need to add in if we're going to, what it means we've got to take something out. Right. Infinite resources of Right, right. So something, uh, as much as we've got, on the plate, something has to come off the plate as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, our next question, uh, uh, this viewer wants to know, what pointers do you have for people who are trying to be supportive of loved ones when the loved one has pushed them away or disengaged or how do you get in there and make a meaningful impact with somebody who you think right. needs your help if and they don't want it. They don't want it. Well, that's a that's a really good question to ask because it's your it sounds like the person might be torn. They really want to be supportive and be there for that person, but that person they may not feel like is allowing them to be. And so sometimes I like to think of not going necessarily through the front door all the time. I use this as like a metaphor. There might be a side door, a different way in. Um, I also am a big fan of planting seeds. Like sometimes it's just, you know, not coming in too forward, too fast, but planting seeds and saying, sending the messages that you actually feel are true for you. So it's 
I do want to, I want to be there for you. Let me know what works for you. Let me know how the person may not be able to necessarily, I don't know what their scenario is. They may not either can't or won't. Are they not sure how to let a person in or they can't let a person in because they're so overwhelmed with what's going on. They don't even know what that looks like. And that might be true. Hey, so Diane, do you tell somebody like, so in a situation like this, let's say that you have somebody in your household who looks miserable Mm -hmm. and you've noticed that there's a change in their behavior. Do you point that out to the person? Do you reflect that back to them? Sure. And in a way that's not necessarily shame driven or judgmental or anything like that, but just as a matter of fact, observation, I think oftentimes if we can just be um, sort of like a, a scientist would be making observations and just mm-hmm. out certain things and always sort of like leaving room to be wrong, right? So it's sort of um, saying, you know, I've noticed this XYZ sort of behavior or observation, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, but I'm, I'm wondering what has changed or what's going on. And it's leaving sort of open-ended questions. So it's not just yes or no, Sometimes we're asking things that just have a yes or no, that's all we're going to get, but we're asking some open-ended aspects, but yeah, it's being, pulling some of the curtain back and just being real and transparent and saying, I see you, you know, like, and, and people need to be seen and sometimes they're not able to respond yet, but they're sort of like building that kind of trust that you're there. You're going to stay being there for them, but you're also not going to push so much that you're going to push them away. Yeah, because I think people worry that if they bring up a difficult topic or a sensitive issue that they're going to make things worse, right? Right. And and so the delicate balance is how do you bring it up in a manner that lets the other person know that you know that they're struggling and that you're available to help them? Right. And that you're basically saying, I care about you. I see you. I'm noticing these things. Is it, you know, do you want to talk about this? Do you... Is there, is there something that we can, that I can do that can be helpful? Is there something I can do less of or more of? Right. Questions like that. Um, and really it's just letting them know that you know is important. It's interesting because we got a number of questions around what I would coin, uh, I'm not the inventor of the phrase, but uh, this concept of being in the sandwich generation I mean, you, Diane Vaccarello, are a prime example of somebody who's in the sandwich generation, meaning that you still have kids at home that are dependent upon you for their needs. And you also are likely due to your age to have parents that are becoming needier as they get older, too. Exactly right. Yes. So uh, the questions that came in about that, one was about um, how do I, I've got a teen that I think deserves to be happier and I have a mother who deserves to be happier and neither one of them wants to hear from me. (laughs) What do I, what do I do? Because I feel terrible that, that my child and my parent are both struggling but neither one of them wants to hear from me. What do I do? So there's a big one for you. Yeah, I, I, it still is sort of like um, important that we let people know, even if they're not ready. So there's, there's a stage of change model, it's called. 
And there is a, um, as a therapist, it's important for me to kind of assess where a person lies on that stage of change model. So I know what type of intervention, if you will, will work. So when someone is very pre-pre-contemplative about creating change, it means they're sort of thinking about thinking about it, you know, and contemplative means they're thinking about that. Um, After that comes ambivalent, where a part of them wants to and a part of them doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. Um, They're like 50-50 or something. And then you get to someone who is um, more in an action stage of change, and they're willing to or able to have certain interventions. So in other words, if I am working with someone and um, I am assigning them homework to do, that Mm -hmm. would assume that they're in the action stage of change. If I assign homework to somebody who is pre-contemplative, they're not going to do that homework assignment, likely. And then they're going to feel bad about not doing that homework assignment. And I have failed as a therapist in that scenario Mm -hmm. to assign something that's not where they're at. So I think in some ways, it's important for us to have acceptance around the idea that a person may not be in an active stage of change. So suggesting that you um, that they go with you to the grocery store and do this, this, and this, it's probably not going to fly. It's not going to work for them. Um, but maybe sending a text and saying, have you thought about what kinds of things, you know, you might need at the grocery, it's sort of getting them along the lines of um, becoming more active. So we right. have to meet a person where they are as much as we want them to be here or they want to be here. We have to have a reality of where they actually are. And so um, I say that because that's kind of the big picture part here. And then um, again, it's, it's communication and it's trying to find different ways of communicating. It may be too intense for a person face-to-face to have the conversation, mm-hmm. but through like a text or an email or a call, it might result in a little bit of a different outcome. So just keeping in mind the modality of how you're communicating. Yeah. And, and uh, with regards to the communication, I think also that you know, there's two parts to every message, right? There's the message given and the message received. Mm-hmm. And when I think about this sandwich generation concept, and I've been there myself, though I'm more towards the uh, the elder age at this point, I certainly have sat in your shoes. Yeah. And it, I found it important to remember that what I thought was being helpful for my kids Mm-hmm. might have been delivering uh, or being received as you're interfering in what I w- I'm perfectly capable of making these decisions on my own. You're yeah. interfering in that. And on the other end of the life spectrum, what I was trying to do in terms of offering help to my mom at a certain point, she was saying, what's the matter with me? Are you saying that you don't think I'm capable of doing this? Right. And at a certain point, I thought, wow, really, my late teen and my elderly mother yeah. are both getting the same message. And that is, you don't have faith in my ability to do this on my own. And that wasn't what I was trying to say at all. It really is, uh, goes from the time that we're born all the way through, you know, later stages in life that we do want to naturally be independent and capable to do for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes that will be something rejected, um, even though we're trying to be helpful, but part of it is really listening and understanding what is it that person feels like they need and fitting that need and also realizing that 
as much as we want to help, you know, my kids' ages are like just about 16 and, and 18. And so they're, um, we're approaching as a family life cycle stage, the launching, you know, of right. developmentally. Um, and, you know, my mom, for example, is very independent and wants to um, actually ask what I need from her. That's where she's at right now. Um, as, instead of me asking what she needs, there's a part of that, but it's really, she wants to know what I need. She wants to be helpful in that way. Um, and, you know, when you're sort of like going, doing all these different things, you have to slow down. I have to remind myself, slow down to really allow for space for her to help me. Um, right. It's not always about what we can do for our kids or our parents. It's what also, um, are we allowing space for them to be there for us in certain ways? Right, right. Oh, I, yeah, that's an interesting concept. The idea that sometimes in order for someone else to, uh, if you will, feel better, we need to let them give to us. Come out to themselves. Yeah, we need to be willing to, to accept and, and receive gracefully. And need things. Like, yeah. We all need things, you know, and so that's part of it is it's not just falling on us to be the ones that fix or help or do. Mm -hmm. It's allowing some of that in a reciprocal way, because that's really what a relationship feels like. Right, right. But it takes a little well, extra time sometimes to slow down and figure out what that might be. Right. And the idea that one size does not really fit all. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, one of our viewers asked a question about guilt. Mm. Uh, her question came in the form of, uh, I'm quite a pleaser mm -hmm. and I feel guilty when I have to say no about anything. Mm -hmm. So wh why was the first part, which I, I don't know that you can necessarily answer that one, but what do I do about it was the second part. Yeah, that's a, you know, guilt is something that I think is tied to a belief system or a perspective that a person has about themselves or about others. And it can be, um, it can be tied to sort of like family rules, if you will, within the culture of growing up in, you know, that can influence us on this is what you should do, or this is how you should behave. So it's kind of instructional in that sense. And we start acquiring these shoulds. But what I want to remind people is that we can, um, we need to construct what our guidelines are for ourselves around what yeah. works um, emotionally and within relationships. So guilt can be oftentimes tied or associated with anxiety in it, in and of itself. It's like a worry. It's a fear that if I do this, then this might happen. Right. And so the idea of guilt, like I should do this because if I don't, this might happen. We have to kind of fact check ourselves right. on that because we tend to get a little too ahead um, of the of our thoughts can get too far ahead when we talk about guilt. Mm -hmm. um, it can be something that ends up um, being tied to fear about something that could happen in the future. If we like don't. somebody getting mad at you or rejecting you? Absolutely. And so we have to fact check ourselves. And if that's the fear, say, is that actually true? Do we know if that's true? Um, it, it can be a severe form of avoidance, actually, if we are like, I just, I'm avoiding ever finding out if that's true. There are right. other ways of finding out. There are other ways by even having a conversation and saying, you know, part of me wants to do this. And the other part of me, feels like compelled to do this, you know, and talk with that person. It's, it's may feel very foreign or unusual to bring up 
a process level conversation that's not stuck in the content of what's being discussed, mm -hmm. but the process is kind of what experience you're having when a person asks you to do something, for example, and you feel like if I say no, then you're just going to be mad at me and never ask me again, be transparent about that. Say a part of me is worried that if I say no, you know, and see what the person says, see if they're a person that you can have a dialogue with about that. Mm -hmm. um, do your own fact checking before you even have that conversation and say, have I ever said no to this person before? You might have actually not been able to do something. It felt more legitimate because you had an appointment and that's why you said no. Um, but either way, did what did that person do or say? How did they respond? It may be somebody you can't say no to and that's right. a whole other story. Well, and, and isn't, it, isn't it true, or at least this is an observation that I've had anyhow, uh, that sometimes people can't just say, gee, I've got too much going on right now. I mean, you reference saying, you know, like I have to have a root canal is a good reason to say no to somebody. I Right. But that people don't feel comfortable saying, uh, you know what, I just have so much going on right now that I don't think I can take anything else on. Yeah. And, and truthfully, it takes practice. It just takes practice doing things um, and trying different scripts, if you will, that are, right. and are true. True is better, you know, because we don't have to then worry about these other things of, oh, then I feel guilty that I lied or that, you know, mm -hmm. it's just taking a hole. First thing you do, right? Stop digging when you're in a hole. So you don't right. want to keep digging. But part of it is practice, 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 where you get used to saying um, and having it have a value that when you say, I really think that if I say yes right now to that, I'm only going to be giving you a tiny part of myself. And that's just not the quality that you deserve. And right. it's true. I really believe that when I say no, it's because I'm not either. Um, interested enough or capable enough at the time, given the energy or time constraints or whatever, to really genuinely be present or into that thing. And so if I say yes, it's not going to work well for anyone. I, if you strongly believe that, you will feel that it's easier to say no. Right. It's not a good idea. Right. But you end up being mediocre at everything and masterful at none, right? So yeah, it just doesn't feel great for anyone. So I think the more um, we really figure out why we feel like we want to say no mm -hmm. uh, and really understand where it's coming from, we'll be able to get behind that a lot better and a lot more um, authentically. And that, after all, is the point, right? It is. To, to be real. Yeah. And to give yourself um, the, what is the word? Just basically trust yourself. That, it, mm -hmm. that you can try this as an experiment, you know, with various people, maybe somebody that might feel a little bit easier doing that with and building yourself, um, basically getting into attunement with it, um, you'll get better and better at it. Mm -hmm. uh, but part of it is when you do it and it's successful, meaning nothing bad happens. Again, that's why it's tied to anxiety slightly because that same symptomology of like something, it's catastrophic thinking, something bad's going to happen. Right. But if you do it, and, you know, it feels good. It can actually feel good. And then it creates a new kind of feedback loop around setting limits and boundaries that are healthy, sometimes meaning saying no, it actually can feel good. And you can be like, yeah, that was the right choice. 
excellent, yeah. excellent advice from our expert. Uh, I'm hoping that our viewing audience is not going to find it catastrophic that uh, we're going on hiatus for a while. Yes, we have a, what did they call like a season? We had a season. We had a season, right. And we determined that 12 episodes was going to be the length of our first season. And, uh, and we've accomplished our goals at reaching those 12 episodes. Yes. Uh, but I know that people are going to have questions about when we're coming back, how to access us. So the first thing that I will share is that all of our broadcasts of Heads Up uh, can be found on BCTV On Demand. Yeah. So if you're dying to see the two of us sitting face to face talking to each other, then the easiest thing to do is to go to bedfordnewhampshire.org. Mm -hmm to choose departments, to go to BCTV, and you'll find us on channel 16 or channel 23 because we're on the education network and the community network. Yes. Uh, the new development for us has been the fact that uh, Bill Jennings, who is our producer, has taken all of our episodes and turned them into podcasts for people who don't either feel the need or have the luxury of watching the broadcast, uh -huh. but may want to put their earbuds in and take us for a walk or listen to us in the car or whatever the case may be. Yes. So those episodes are on WBNH, which is our Bedford community radio station. And that is found at 105.1 FM. Same thing, you can go on uh, the bedfordnewhampshire.org website departments. If you scroll to the bottom, you find WBNH. Mm -hmm. Click on that and there's a menu on the left-hand side. If you click on heads up, you'll get more of Diane Vaccarello and Sue Mullen than you ever dreamed <laughs> that you could have. Uh, but those podcasts in all earnest uh, are there for people to access should they uh, have a topic or time that they want to spend with us. Exactly. And it, it was great yeah. that he was able to do that. Sometimes just listening instead of having the time to watch it um, makes all the difference for a person. Yeah. And in the interim, we would encourage people to be thinking about topics that they may want us to cover in our next season. Yes. Which I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that next season is probably going to start somewhere in August, mm -hmm. uh, probably towards the end of August. We're 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 attempting to try to follow maybe a a school schedule because we know that people are busy during the summer. Exactly. So. So that works for you. We would love to hear from people with regards to topics, uh, ideas and or any other questions. There are questions on the list that I did not address today, but I can guarantee people that when they tune in in August that we will uh, not only be planning for our next season with those questions in mind, but certainly available to answer anything that people have in between as well. Yes, we will pick up where we leave off and we appreciate all of the viewers, the contributions that they're making, asking questions. And, um, you know, that's what we're here for. 
All right, well, I'm gonna give you a heads up that our time today has expired and that I look forward to seeing you in person yes. now that we're all double vaccinated uh, and that I wish our audience well and we hope that they enjoy the summer. Yes, so have a great summer, everyone. Thanks, Diane, and I'll see you all soon. Bye, Sue. Bye, Di. You gotta keep your head